what are we doing wrong? Are we trying to get too much productivity out of them early? Are we not developing them right? Uh, is health a part of it? Uh, there's a lot of things we don't know there. Nutrition, all those things play a part in it. So it's an area that needs a lot more research and information. And uh, I, I'm one of the ones who promoted that we need more of a standardization of death loss reasons. You know, I looked at some data a while back and had 67 reasons for culls and deaths and 30 percent of them were other or unknown. So really didn't tell us anything of why those animals were dying. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions, Genesis, the first power in genetics, AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production, Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance, every pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool, just all. Always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Alonco's Prevacent, a new perspective. Visit PrevacentPers.us to learn more. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. Hello everyone, today we have Rome Ketchum from MetaFarms and he's going to dive us on the south side of the benchmarking analysis that has been done along with the National Pork Board. And uh, Rome, welcome to the show. Welcome, thank you. Appreciate you being here today and for those that never met you or don't know you, if you can share a little bit about uh, your background and experience background, University of Missouri a graduate, uh, spent uh, 12 years with a genetic company out of college, then uh, 15 years working for a feed company. And then uh, the last uh, 20 year, uh, 18 years, uh, I've been was one of the owners of Swine Management Services. And then a year ago in September, we sold Swine Management Services to uh, Metafarm. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm 47 years in the industry as far as involved with pigs. I love it. And if you can share us, you know, how this report came about, is that a yearly report or, or not? And just give that background to folks and then we can dive into the south side uh, of the uh, report. The, farm, the report we did for uh, the National Pork Board is an annual report. Now, this is the first year that uh, Metafarms and SMS have been asked to uh, review the data and be part of that information now. Swine Management Services has got a benchmarking database that goes back 16 years. So we've been doing this uh, for 16 years as far as benchmarking uh, farms, U.S., Canada. And there's a small number of farms from Australia in our current data set. Super cool. And all right, as we focus a little bit on sows, what, what are the biggest uh, takeaways on your view? Well, I think so now. The database we put together for National Pork Board is only U.S. farms. We combine data from SMS and from Metafarms because we don't have all the same customer base. So we ended up with 600 farms that we looked at for the last three years. Okay. I think one of, the, one of the points is there's a huge variation between productivity of lots of areas between farms. 
And uh, I don't think until you get large data sets together, you don't understand how much variation there is when you're looking at a basically a model of pigs and productivity. So it, it's a huge variation that we see in the data set. And uh, why, when you look at specific production parameters, um, I guess which one of those you like to look at the most and, and if you can walk us through some of those numbers as well? Well, the, the one that the industry uses the most is pigs weaned per male to female per year, and that's been a standard for years. Yep. Uh, we have a standard equation that was developed by the National Pork Board several years ago that we do, because when you start comparing data, all the different record programs have different ways of uh, expressing the same information. So we pull in the raw data, use the same set of equations, and uh, we come up with some numbers. So just an example, uh, last year in uh, 2019, the average of the database on the 600 uh, sow farms was 26.61 pigs being made a female per year. But the top 10% or the top 60 farms were 32.11 pigs per sow per year. And the bottom uh, 30 fa uh, farms were at 17.77 pigs. So that alone, you've got nine pigs different per sow per year between these farms. Wow. Just amazing. Yes. And I mean, uh, health is going to have a big role in that, right? What else has been the key factors and drive those, that difference? When we look at it here, there's lots of things. Probably uh, the biggest thing is people, you know, the variation in uh, the, 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 uh, the people at the farms. Again, that's an area we walk on a farm today, and that's the biggest thing you're saying is uh, how do I stop the turnover of people or how do I find the right people to bring in, to bring to me to work in my industry? The other thing happens to be there's genetics, but we, we do some subsetting of genetic companies and there's not a lot of difference between the genetic companies. There's more variation within. So uh, that can be a factor. Uh, the facilities, the age, we've got farms today that are 30 years old in our database and farms that were built a year ago. And uh, we know we built them differently now than we did 30 years ago, allowing more space and things like that. So that makes a lot of difference. And the health, you mentioned that already. Health is a huge driver. You know, if uh, the farm isn't healthy, you know, things do not perform well so that you take away that. So you got facilities, labor and health. All those go together to come up with what productivity is going to be. Very good. On the people side of things, um, I always like to dive a little on, you know, on patterns. So any patterns that you have observed, uh, you know, the key things that do help have either good people or consistent and low turnover. The, uh, a lot of it today is, is uh, where a lot of these farms are located. Uh, we've tried to locate them in an isolated area for the health issue. And there's a lot of times not a lot of people around that area that uh, have been in hog production or a lot of people people that are for the labor force. So uh, a, lot, a lot of times we're having to reach out a little bit further to try to, try to find the right people. And again, uh, a lot of them had no experience with animals. You know, uh, 20, 30 years ago, most of us were growing up on a farm. We at least knew what an animal was and how to handle them. Today, they know how to do a, a cat or a dog. But uh, when they go on a sow farm and they're trying to move a 500 pound sow from point A to point B, they don't understand how to do it. So I think a lot of people we've attracted, uh, they found out it was actually a lot of physical work in there, and some people aren't really into that. So uh, a lot of farms, we screen through a lot of people uh, to come up with the ones that are going to stay, be part of that family at that farm, 
and uh, continue to be trained and understand what needs to be done. This episode's sponsor highlight is about every pig. The truth is precision swine production is not the future, it is the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20 minute demonstration at www.everypig.co slash swineit. Very good. And how about the next um, parameter? Are we talking a farrow rate or what What do you like to, to talk next? Well, I guess there's a couple other things we can chat about. Uh, death loss is probably a hot topic. It's mm-hmm. uh, been the one the last few years that a lot of us have wrote about. And uh, we've actually seen go up one to one and a half percent a year. And a lot of people have done some studies. Iowa State did one a year ago looking at prolapses. And people like us, we dig deep into a lot of the data and start to look at some things. And that's an area that uh, nobody's really got a big answer for why it continues to go up. We've seen some things happen. Uh, We've seen that there's a lot of shift now to the younger parodied animals that are dying and, and being culled. And the P0s, 1s, 2s, and 3s, 1s and 2s in a lot of farms, 40 to 50% of the death loss in calls are those younger parodies. So what are we doing wrong? Are we trying to get too much productivity out of them early? Are we not developing them right? Uh, Is health a part of it? Uh, There's a lot of things we don't know there. Nutrition, all those things play a part in it. So it's an area that needs a lot more research and information. And uh, I'm one of the ones who promoted that we need more of a standardization of death loss reasons. You know, I looked at some data a while back and had 67 reasons for culls and deaths and 30 percent of them were other or unknown. So really didn't tell us anything of why those animals were dying. So I think as an industry, we've got to look at some standardization of coming up what what we want to see and get it somewhat standardized so we can dig into what's going on and causing the problem. And and in our database alone, I think our database run about 10 percent but there's variance from 4% to 24% in a year. So it's a huge variation across the industry. And um, it, it, it's how do we go about trying to solve that? Is it, is it lack of good people in the units can see an animal that's unhealthy and treat them? Or, uh, or what are we doing wrong as far as developing of that animal? I love that the, the, what you mentioned on having that standard format. Is there a place today folks can go to... Um, kind of download the, the, the suggested standard format? Um, probably not. We wrote an article. I wrote articles for National Hog Farmer. We wrote an article two years ago, and we actually developed a list working with actually Chris Hostedler and, and uh, Ken Stoller from Iowa State. And we published it out there, but we didn't get much take on it. So uh, if somebody's interested in what we think the things ought to be, just give us a call and we will gladly send it to you. Awesome. And um, I think it's something we've got to look at is coming up with, an, with, a, with a shortened list of agreed upon reasons for deaths and calls. Yes. And really need some buying from the ASV and, and right. Right. some, yeah, that's, that's huge. When you talk about numbers, right? Uh, what has been the trend on a year by year based on mortality? Do, do you have that number handy there? Uh, I, and on sow death loss, as I said, it's come up about one to one and a half percent a year. It's been doing that about eight years now. When you go back and look at trend line charts and, um, you know, there was a time 15 years ago, we were up around eight or nine percent. It trended down, especially there through about 2013 to about 2015. 
or 16. And I think a lot of that was when we had PQA certification was coming into effect. We were training our people better and, and making them more accountable. Then it started to move up. And I've looked at our database. We've looked at other databases with unrelated farms in them. And the trend lines have been about the same. And uh, we've looked at farms uh, as far as size of farm. Uh, we've seen the, a higher death loss in the larger farms. But on the other side, if we look at the highly productive large, large farms, we've seen a, a, a lesser number. So uh, lots of things that we see have been, been shifting around. And uh, some of the data I, we worked on recently, uh, we looked at about 30% of, the, of the, the female death loss is occurring in about a nine day period from two to three days before farrowing to four, five or six days after farrowing. So why is it in that area? And that's a big stress area. So why do we see so much of it there? What do we got to do to change? What are we doing on pre-care for sow's farrowing? And what are we doing on after she farrows out? Super interesting. Yeah, that's that's a tough one. And then start thinking about uh, how the industry changed on uh, being better on timely euthanasia and maybe antibiotic removal. And those things might play a role too. That's been some of it as we, as the uh, cull sow packers got a little more picky about the animals who were sending those animals that had a bad hoof or a big abscess now are euthanized. But that, that's been in effect five or six years. It's just not something that happened last year. So why has it uh, kept climbing? It's, it's, a big, it's a big question for the industry to evaluate and start to look at. Very interesting. Any comments on uh, farrowing rate? No? Farrowing rate's been kind of interesting. Uh, you know, as, as we've looked over time, it's gone up uh, considerably the last several years. I think our database now, I think in the average, and it was like 85 and a half percent, I think was the average of the database. But we see farms down in the 70s for a year. And there are a few farms that are 94, 95, sometimes 96% for a year. So again, a huge variation there. And again, that's back to, you know, the quality of the guy doing the breeding, the quality of the semen on the day that he breeds, and is that sow in, in good heat? So again, any we will see that much. We normally see that kind of variation. Now, the top end farms are usually the ones in those 30s. They're going to see the farrowing rates in the upper 80s or into the 90s. And a, a 4% change in farrowing rates, about 1.34 pigs per sow per year improvement. So it's one of those drivers that if it's done right, can get you more pigs. And also lowers your non-productive days, uh, which can save a lot of money. Right. Uh, is there any highlight when it comes to getting a better farrowing rate? What would be your top few there? I think the biggest thing there is is constantly training of the uh, the breeders and uh, reinforcing what they're what they're doing and give them reinforcement. How well are you doing? And the other part is just making sure that the semen we got coming in is quality semen and we're following the protocols of the semen supplier as far as temperature of the storage unit. Uh, and then when we're handling the semen, what do we do with that excess semen we have when we come back from the breeding barn? How do we treat that semen? So that's a lot of things. And the other thing is try to reduce the number of single matings. Uh, we know there's definitely a drop in farrowing rate on one mating versus two. And there's a lot more farms now doing three plus matings to a subset of sows in there that, again, helps to increase the farrowing rate. So it's letting a sow tell you what you need to do in the breeding area, when and where and how many times. Any insights on the winter asteroids interval? What, what did you find there? Uh, when you first there was some, it's interesting. We've watched that over, you know, 16 years now. 
And it's actually been going down the last several years with more producers seeing sow cycling an average of under five days. And I think a lot of it relates to about 10 years ago or so when we started saying, hey, we're not feeding our sows enough in the farrowing house. Uh, it's time we give them a little more diet. So we installed, uh, you know, uh, tubes or something to full feed them. Uh, we uh, hooked up and we just opened up the feed system when they farrowed and let them eat all they wanted to eat. And we've seen a nice drop in that uh, wean to first service interval. And if you look at data and the lower the wean to first service interval, it has a pretty good direct effect on subsequent farrowing rate and subsequent total born. So the faster she cycles back, the more fertile she is, the higher the farrowing rate. And in a lot of cases, we'll have more fertile pigs at the when she farrows the next time around. So it's, a, it's again, a large driver to improving productivity. Interesting. Yeah, there's been, there's been a, a handful of interesting studies on that area recently when it comes to, um, you know, full feeding or not. And uh, it's me, I think it's a, one that is changing because um, many of those studies, uh, to, to the surprise of, of, of many of us, the more feed was not necessarily improving performance in the next one, which historically, you know, it's being something that yeah. the industry. But, but we got some of these farms with the, you know, there's several farms now up in the 16 and a half, 17 total born. We're not probably going to add much to them. But uh, again, if that sow's in good body condition, she's in an increasing plane of nutrition when you breed her, they're going to be more viable eggs shed and there's going to be a high fertility rate of those eggs. So uh, years ago, I think I'll agree with you. We saw more improvement with it, but it's still there's a, there's a chance you can improve those numbers too. Interesting. How about uh, replacement rate? Uh, replacement rate, uh, again, everybody. That's one we're sitting, I think, and I'm trying to think in that uh, data set where we were at. Um, I think we're around 58 or 59 percent. Mm -hmm. uh, we've seen that kind of work up a little the last few years, partly because of sow death loss. You lose another 2 percent animals, you've got to put at least 2 percent more back in. So that's been some of it. And a lot of times we see this replacement, it's relative to the, the price of a cull sow. Or have you had a health challenge where you couldn't bring in animals for some period of time, and then you had to, to pretty much restock the farm. So a lot of variation we see from, uh, from farm to farm and replacement rate. But we, we see not a lot of variation between those top 10% farms and the bottom 10% farms. So uh, again, they're, the top 10% are just utilizing those animals better and getting more pigs out of them a lifetime when they're in the farm. Right. It can easily become a band-aid, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, right. Awesome. As we wrap up here, Ron, any um, final comments on, on the benchmarking analysis? Well, I think it's, a, it's just one of those tools that you can have to say, where are you at compared to the industry? And then what areas do I need to work on? So we've tried to, and some of the work we do is try to sort out those. Uh, we got 11 variables in our benchmarking charts that we provide to our producers. And it shows on there which areas I'm weak in, which I'm strong in. And then we go back and those one or two weak areas is what we got to work on. And uh, recognizing where you're weak at and then how do I fix that to, to improve overall performance. Very good. It is time to our famous three. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Our company offers specialized technical support for nutritionists, veterinarians, and other animal production professionals. Our portfolio of programs and services include a wide array of high-performing feed solutions such as 
essential nutrients, palatability, feed preservation, mycotoxin management, and health and nutrition. To learn more about our company, visit us at www.adiseo.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. I always have uh, three questions, Ron, that I asked uh, the guest. The first one is, uh, what's your favorite pig-related book or resource? Oh, pig-related book. I don't know. I've, I've read a lot of different ones. One of my biggest things is reading a lot of the research papers, stuff mm -hmm. that come out. I'm pretty good about doing that or pulling something off from a, a study done somewhere in Europe or something that uh, can we convert that into something we can do here. Yeah. Very good. How about non-related to pigs or agriculture? Any book or resource that, that you like? Oh, not in particular. Again, uh, pretty much my whole life for 47 years has been pigs. So pigs, just, right? I, I guess another way to put this question is wrong. What what is that? A lot of you know, a lot of people know you from the industry, but what's that the wrong side that people don't know? Something that you like to do, you know, hobby or something like that? Oh, I don't have a lot of hobbies. One of my couple of favorite things is is I you know, like to tinker around and like rebuild decks and do some stuff. Right now, I'm working on a a project in front of the house on relaying some bricks, and then I like to take some time and go get in a boat somewhere and go out and fish for a while. I you know, it's something nice. I enjoy doing too. So it's kind of where awesome. you find me. And hopefully here in the next year or so, as I work less, mm -hmm. I'll get to do more of uh, those things, like a little more fishing in Florida. It probably is on my radar for sure. Awesome. And then lastly, um, in your view, what sets uh, successful swine uh, producers or professionals apart from those that are not? I think you, the top end farms or a lot of them are, almost like a family. If they're not owned by an individual family or they're owned by a group, they're treated as family. And if you become part of that family group, you get recognition for what you do and you get rewarded what you do. Uh, those farms are the ones keeping their employees the longer period of time. And those are the ones that are more, more productive, not having to retrain and replace people. And I've always said, if, you're, if your W-2 percentage is higher than your replacement percentage, you're not going to perform well. So sometimes right. add up the W-2s, divide that, and look at replacement rate. The farms that have a low W-2 percent are the more productive farms. What is, uh, do you guys look at turnover in the analysis at all? We've done a little bit of that, but that's a hard one to do. Actually, we're working on a new benchmarking database for next year. And in that, we're, uh, we're, we sent out a farm information sheet that we like to have filled out. So we're sending those out again now. And on there, we've got the number of employees. We'll know the size of the farm. But we, it's pretty hard to get really get good numbers from that. I'd, I'd love to know sometime what it is. And I know a lot of farms I work with, it's, it's, it's too high. There's too many people turning over. But uh, a lot of it, as we talked earlier, is where they're located. The quality of the, the workforce is not there. They want to come in, put in their day's work and get paid and stay there. So uh, it, it's going to be a big industry issue as we move forward. And, and labor, labor, no matter what industry, and you walk, drive through any town right now, there's help wanted signs all over the place, whether it's a, a, a restaurant or a, a, you know, a fast food or a, a hardware store. People are looking for quality people that want to come in, work and stay there and make that a career. And that's something we got to work on. Very good. I have a last question for you on the number of sales uh, per employee. 
any insights there? Uh, we did a little study a year ago, and it ran anywhere from uh, 250 to 500. And um, it, it, there was really no – I kind of use 350 as kind of a number when I look at staffing the barns and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's kind of a raw number that I use. And, it, and there's been a shift. We used to see about 60% breeders and 40% farrowing. It's actually shifting the other way now, about 40% breeders and about 60% farrowing because the farrowing house, there's a lot of extra pigs in there that uh, are not getting saved that uh, could improve productivity a tremendous amount. Awesome. Thanks so much, Ron. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been my pleasure too. Thank you. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven week long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcio Gonçalves and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com.